This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have as our guest today, Susan Chumsky, who is a spiritual health self-help author. She's that rare insider who spent 22 years in the ashrams and six years on the personal staff of Maharishi, the tell-all memoirs, her book, Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru. Susan, are you there? I am here. Great. Terrific. I can't, uh, I actually had to cross through half of what I thought based upon my time limit I have today. Um, but you never know. If we get going good, I'll just, uh, I, it made me wonder, have you people actually book tried to book you for instance on uh, john lennon's birthday uh well yes people have booked me for that particular uh, topic yes because john lennon's birthday is coming up in october that's right that's right and and i must tell you there are a, a lot of people that i know that thought that that was probably the the the, the shooting of him and the killing of him was probably the uh, um, event of the century, I, I would call it, um, other than, you know, JFK getting shot. Uh, just just one of those can't believe it's can't believe it's Still. it was very shocking when it happened. Yes. Very shocking. And that was um, this is the anniversary of that coming up in December. Um, let's see what anniversary was that like 40th anniversary or something. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, coming up. Well, I see that you're quite an author. Uh, you've got 13 prestigious book awards on this Maharishi and me book. Um, you've got 18 books in print, so you, you keep busy. It looks like. Uh, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking over the, the, the cues, I think, on some of the Beatles activities. Uh, for instance, um, some of the uh, song titles have secrets to them, or at least an undercover uh, name. Um, some of those are listed here, too. Um, unknown facts and meanings of songs we've all grown up with. One is Sexy Sadie. Right. Yeah, no, there... Sexy Sadie. Yeah, Sexy Sadie originally was called Maharishi, uh, but oh. it was a very uh, big put down. It was, it was very mean. It had actually ex uh, explicit words in it that were, that were not for general consumption. Uh, and when George 
heard what the lyrics were to that song, he said, John, you can't do that. You can't write that. So John changed it to Sexy Sadie. And he and he also removed the the nasty words uh, in the song. Mm-hmm. So mm. it was about Maharishi. It was not about anyone named Sadie. There isn't anyone named Sadie. That person doesn't exist. Interesting. Before I go through the list, the one the, the song I think that I like the most on on the on the White Album is. Um, uh, Blackbird. Actually, is that is my any... favorite. That's my favorite song on the White Album. Also, I think it's such a beautiful song. It's very inspiring. Uh, when yes. Paul, when the uh, when the White Album first came out, Paul uh, said that he was inspired by hearing a blackbird early in the morning when he, when the Beatles were at the ashram with Maharishi when they when they went to visit Maharishi in India. Uh, Maharishi, by the way, was the founder of Transcendental Meditation and the Beatles went to study with him in 1968. And when uh, when Paul heard that bird early in the morning, he, uh, he was inspired by that. And uh, the bird, by the way, or crows. There are crows at the ashram, I know, because I went to the ashram and I was there for six months myself in 1970. So um, crows are very loud and screechy. They're not anything like the little tweety birds that you hear on the song Blackbird. <laughs> However, then later, decades later, Paul changed his tune. He decided to change oh, the meaning of the song. And he said that it was a song about uh, African-American female in the civil rights movement, and uh, which I think has a beautiful meaning, but it wasn't his original intention, but that's okay. Uh, it does have a wonderful meaning, and the song is very inspirational about anyone who has a broken wing, uh, anyone who is brokenhearted, and uh, wants to learn to fly, wants to be able to fly. Been there, done that. All of us, yeah. Interesting how many people like that song and choose it as, as the best of the album. Uh, it's a double album. Yeah, there's a lot of songs on that album. It's got yeah. 30 songs on the album, yeah. What about revolution? And almost all those almost all those songs were written in India when when the Beatles were with Maharishi. So yeah. almost all those songs were influenced by what was going on in the ashram at the time and uh, by Maharishi. So you mentioned revolution. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the next one on the list. So revolution. Um, that's about something called the Maharishi effect. Uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was very, very famous in the 20th century. Uh, he was really, he appeared on the, on the covers of Time Magazine, Life Magazine, Look Magazine, Saturday Evening Post. He was a celebrity, huge celebrity. And, uh, but when he first came to America in 1959, nobody knew who he was. There was no 
at that time in the culture of America, there was no meditation, there was no mantra, there was no yoga. These terms basically did not exist in the West. And within 10 years, with a little help from his friends, the Beatles, uh, these became household words. Now, Maharishi, uh, the reason I was attract so attracted to Maharishi is because he was, his express purpose was to create world peace. It was the Cold War, and I was terrified. At age three, uh, I was in terror of a bomb falling on my head from the Russians. And we lived very close to an Air Force base. So I was uh, really scared that World War III was going to break out at any moment. And so Maharishi's uh, message was very appealing because he said that if a certain percentage of the population would practice meditation, practice his form of meditation called transcendental meditation, that we could create world peace. Well, that really appealed to me because I had every time that I wished on a birthday candle or a wishing well or on a star, I always wished for world peace. So Maharishi wanted to prove his idea that we could create world peace through many people meditating. So what he would do is he would send hundreds of people to war-torn areas or crime-ridden areas. And because Maharishi was a scientist, he actually graduated uh, as a physicist in physics from Allahabad University in India. So he was a scientist. And because of that, he did a lot of scientific research on transcendental meditation. In fact, during his lifetime, there were only over 500 scientific studies done and published. So uh, in some of his experiments, he would send these meditators to war-torn or crime-ridden areas, and then they would, they would uh, track the statistics to see what happened in those areas. They found that when these people would meditate in large groups together, that the crime rate would go down or the war would subside during that period of time. And that is what this song written by John Lennon, Revolution, means. It's about something called the Maharishi effect. This reduction in crime rate and war and, and so on is called the Maharishi effect, which states that when a certain percentage of the population meditates, uh, these good results happen. So in that song, Lennon says, uh, you say you'll change the Constitution. We all want to change your head. You tell me institution, you better free your mind instead. Uh, because Maharishi used to always say that in order for the forest to be green, the trees must be green. In order for the world to be at peace, Individuals must be at peace. He believed that you cannot legislate peace. You can't write a treaty about peace. You can only change people's minds, change their minds in the sense that when they meditate, we will create world peace.
Interesting, interesting. Now I know we know uh, the Beatles certainly um, appreciated learning from the Maharishi. Is would there be anything that the Maharishi learned about learned from the Beatles? I think he learned how how he could use them for publicity. <laughs> That's what he learned. He learned how famous he could become if he would uh, court them. And he was he was very clever when it came to uh, making the best of people to help him promote his uh, his mission, which was to spread meditation to as many people as possible in the world. And during his lifetime, he trained 40,000 teachers, and those 40,000 teachers trained 6 million people to meditate uh, during Maharishi's lifetime. Uh, that's how many people learned transcendental meditation. That's amazing. Amazing. Was that all inside India or No, worldwide? that was mostly, mostly in the United States and also countries like Great Britain and Germany and South America, um, mm -hmm. all over the world. But those were the main countries, I think, the ones I just mentioned. I learned the benefit of meditation in the 80s. And I've been off and on with it. Um, a lot of times I tell myself, I want to do more with this and that. Some of the things that you've done when, in your earlier books uh, I studied metaphysics in the 80s, and you've got a book about exploring meditation. You've got a book about the power of the auras, the power of the chakras, awaken your third eye, awaken your divine intuition. That's, that's quite a list, uh, an impressive list. Uh, yeah, I've written a lot of books. That's true. Well, um, being a, a doctor of divinity, would you be writing another 18 books anytime soon? <laughs> well, let's hope I live that long, that I can yeah. write another 18 books. Uh, I'm writing two right now. Uh, one is up and coming called Prosperity Meditations. And then another one that'll be coming is called How India Influenced the Beatles. Interesting. And especially George Harrison, I think. Very much so. Indeed. George Harrison truly led the way in spirituality when it came to the Beatles. But all, but, you know, um, Paul and Ringo are still into spirituality today. That's great. That's terrific. Did, um, there was a fallout, I think, between John Lennon and Maharishi. What, what went on there? What was the problem? Well, um, okay. So they were in India enjoying um, Maharishi's graces and guests of Maharishi and um, enjoying being in the ashram and meditating. <clears throat> They would meditate up to eight hours a day 
because Maharishi had all of his people on his class do that. And um, Ringo only stayed for 10 days because he had a six-month-old child at home. Obviously, he wasn't going to stay long away from that child. He had two children. One was two years old at the time. One was six months old. And also his wife, who had come there with him to India, she hated the insects. It was in the jungle. There were millipedes, centipedes, Scorpios, <clears throat> scorpions. And um, it is the legend is that at one point, a single fly kept her hostage for hours until Ringo came back to kill it. I mean, it was bad as far as the uh, insects and Maureen Darkey, Ringo's wife, and then Paul. Uh, so, so Ringo and his wife only stayed for 10 days. And then Paul, he had come with Jane Asher, and Jane had a theatrical commitment back in London. And so they had to leave after five weeks. Then uh, John Lennon and George Harrison were left at the ashram. But they left after... Uh, well, they left after two months of being there, and they left in a huff. And there were three reasons that they left in a huff. And I'll tell you one of those reasons. One of the reasons had to do with a film deal gone south. And that was that Maharishi promised the Beatles and Apple Corps that they could do a film. Apple Corps, by the way, that's the Beatles uh, company. Right. So Maharishi promised them that they could do an exclusive, that they could have exclusive rights to a film about Maharishi, about transcendental meditation, and about Maharishi's guru, his teacher. So uh, Neil Aspinall, who was one of their managers, the Beatles managers, came to India to broker this contract with Maharishi. And then he went back to England, and he was supposed to return with a film crew. In fact, the Beatles cabled him and told him, him to bring the, bring the crew back to India. But meanwhile, Maharishi had made the same deal with someone else, four-star productions of Hollywood. And the lawyer from Four Star Productions showed up at the ashram, along with Charlie Lutz, who was the head of Maharishi's organization throughout the world of what was called the Spiritual Regeneration Movement. So Charlie shows up with this contract, signed contract, giving Four Star Productions the rights to film Maharishi, exclusive rights to film Maharishi for the next five years. And uh, then the film crew arrived in, in India, the film crew from Four Star Productions, not the film crew from Apple Corps, from the Beatles. The, the other film crew comes to the ashram overnight. And then in the morning, John Lennon, opens the door to his bungalow. He is bedheaded and bleary-eyed. He looks out into the courtyard, and what does he see? He sees a cameraman and a director who yells, action! So uh, John and George were 
they were infuriated. They refused to leave their bungalow. They would not go to the lecture hall where the cameras and lights were set up. And very soon after that, they, they left the ashram in a, in a huff. So that was one of the three reasons why they left so, in a, you know, so angrily. Well, it certainly sounds like a sad situation. It was uh... because a Maharishi was naive and unaware. Possibly, he was possibly naive and unaware. Though people tried to warn him, Maharishi contracts don't work that way. You can't just have everybody in a big party, you know, <laughs> doing this. You can't have everyone having exclusive contracts. That doesn't work. And the Beatles, they when they saw that cameraman and the director, they figured Maharishi had been using them for publicity all along. And they were very uh, sensitive about that and very angry about that, obviously. So that was one of the reasons why, why they uh, had a falling out, shall we say. And apparently uh, George came back uh, later on and did he attempt to apologize to the Maharishi? Yeah, uh, George came back and apologized. Uh, Paul came back and visited Maharishi in his later years uh, in Vlodrop, Holland. Uh, John Lennon tried to come back. That was in 1969, one year after the Beatles were in India, a year and a half actually. Uh, he tried to come back and uh, to the ashram. And this story goes like this. So Maharishi was in Rishikesh and he was discussing in his small meeting room, he was discussing where they would hold a teacher training course uh, somewhere in the world where there would be, where they could have like a thousand people or thousands of people because so many people wanted to become teachers of transcendental meditation. So they were discussing where they could do that maybe in America. And all of a sudden, Maharishi's secretary burst into the room and said, Maharishi, there's an important telegram for you. And Maharishi said, who it is from? And the uh, secretary said, it's from John Lennon. And Maharishi said, who? And the secretary said, John Lennon, Maharishi. And Maharishi said, who? And the secretary said, John Lennon from the Beatles. And Maharishi said, who? And the secretary said, John Lennon from the Beatles, who was here uh, in the ashram. And um, he's in New Delhi. And he wants to come to Rishikesh to visit you. And Maharishi said, I do not know a John Lennon. Very interesting. Yeah. So it's like um, you know, you're no longer you're no longer my son. <laughs> right. Yeah. What a shame. That was after that was after John had um, had told the press on a few occasions that Maharishi was. Uh, not all he fucked up to be. I mean, John Lennon right. was criticizing Maharishi in the press. 
There's a note here regarding um, John Lennon was the unofficial leader. And one of the things that uh, it, it describes here is including their love affair with psychedelics and the oh, spiritual seeking with Maharishi. Tell me about that. Well, that's true. I mean, John was a, was a, took psychedelics. Um, uh, Marianne Faithfull's boyfriend, Dunbar, he was the one that turned on uh, John to psychedelics. Uh -huh. And then, uh, strangely, <laughs> the Beatles' dentist was the one that slipped LSD into some liquid they were drinking. I think it was coffee or something. And uh, the Beatles, unbeknownst, uh, they didn't know they were going to be going on an LSD trip, but they ended up taking LSD. And then, really, they got very much into it. And they were all taking psychedelics. But it was John who first was turned on to it by, by um, Dunbar. So uh, their music changed very quickly after the psychedelic, after they started taking psychedelics. That's when they wrote Revolver. Revolver was the first psychedelic uh, album. And then it went on to Sgt. Pepper. Sgt. Pepper was another psychedelic album. And you could hear the, the music was different and then the themes were different. And they, they wrote that song, uh, Turn Off Your Mind, Relax and Float Downstream, which was an exact quote from the book, The Psychedelic Experience, which had been written by Timothy Leary uh, and Richard Alpert, advocates of psychedelics. Richard Alpert later mm -hmm. became Ram Dass. He went on a spiritual path to India and, and became Ram Dass. So uh, psychedelics at that time back in the 60s i was a, i was a hippie i was a flower child i was into the whole psychedelic revolution and in fact trying to follow timothy leary and richard alpert and their their theme which was to turn on tune in and drop out so we were all following that and so were the beatles we were all on the same spiritual path together and the beatles were advocating psychedelics and they were taking them like crazy i mean they they were it wasn't that they were just dabbling they were heavily into taking lsd so uh their music reflected that and um like i said revolver was the first album that was the psychedelic album where the music was very, re re very revolutionary music. Their music was always revolutionary. Even the simplest tunes like Please Please Me and um, She Loves You. I mean, it was a different sound. It was the mercy sound. Uh, mercy meaning uh, the river in, in Liverpool, England. Mm -hmm. And there was this special sound that, was, that no Americans had ever heard. And it was, it was a, a different beat. And... Everything about it was different, and it was very addictive. It was it was very compelling, and all of us loved that sound. So that sound then evolved into other sounds that the Beatles, they were so creative, and um, Martin helped them with that, their arranger. So it was, uh, it was quite illusionary.
and music during that period of time. Absolutely. And I, I can say that Timothy Leary really is dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, this is fascinating. Um, I wonder if you could do it all over again, would you? Absolutely. I, um, you know, in 1967 is when I learned Transcendental Meditation before the Beatles did. The Beatles also learned in 1967. They learned uh, a few weeks after I learned, actually. And um, then I, immediately I started applying for teacher training courses because I really wanted to become a teacher. I was so enamored with meditation and how it had transformed my life. So I started applying to all the teacher training courses that were going on in India. And I applied to the course that the Beatles ended up going on, although I had no idea that they, that they had, were going to be there. But I, I did apply to that. But I was rejected because they said I was a bit too young and you had to be 24 years old and a college graduate in order to go to these teacher training courses at that time. But then later, Maharishi opened it up to younger students. So in 1970, I ended up going there, and I spent six months there with Maharishi. And then soon after that, a uh, year after that, I joined Maharishi's international staff, his personal staff. And I was there in Europe with Maharishi for six years, six years. And I spent over two decades in his various ashrams. So I was really, really into Transcendental Meditation and really a great devotee of Maharishi for a very, very long time. And um, yeah, I would definitely do the same thing over again. What I learned, what I gained, how I transformed, my goodness, it was, uh, it was quite a journey, quite an experience. Well, it certainly sounds like it. I noticed that part one uh, is titled um, Hippiness to Happiness, <laughs> which I thought was very clever. Yeah, Hippiness to Happiness. That's uh, chapter one of my book. Yeah. And uh, the reason that it's Hippiness to Happiness is because I was a hippie and I found happiness through meditation. It was the first time I ever experienced happiness in my life was when I learned and practiced meditation because happiness really only comes from within you can't have real happiness unless you are happy within and the way to be happy within is to be in contact with that which is happy and that which is happy is your own higher self it is your own true nature of being that is filled with bliss and happiness so when you contact that aspect of your being, you experience true happiness. I understand the process and I work on it every day. That's great. Well, this has been a, a terrific visit. Um, tell, tell my audience how to get in touch with you, how to make contact with you, how, they, how do they find you? 
Yes, um, my website is drsusan.org, drsusan.org. And then I have another website, which is divinetravels.com. That's plural on the travels, divine, D-I-V-I-N-E-T-R-A-V-E-L-S.com, divinetravels.com, where you can check out the tours and cruise seminars at sea and other uh, travels to sacred destinations. Check it out. Well, Susan, thank you for being our guest today. This is um, this was really a treat. Well, Truly thank treat. you. It was a treat for me as well. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Searching for Integrity. So long and happy trails to all. <laughs>